Big Finish for the love of stories. You're listening to the Big Finish podcast, release date Sunday, the 29th of January, 2023. Goodbye, Brigadier. Doctor. Doctor. I think. I think it's only fair to warn you that others will come looking for you. Not just our lot. There are other intelligence agencies out there. People who've heard about you. What you can do. I... I won't be able to protect you. I'm fairly gifted at hide-and-seek. You only found me because I was curious to hear what you had to say. My curiosity always was my worst enemy. What about the TARDIS? All right, Brigadier, I'll play along. Benji. Hello, Ooh. I'm Benji Clifford. He's Nick Briggs. Uh-huh. This is Big Finish, audio books, audio drama, and this podcast, all for the love of stories. Uh, in a moment, Benji and I will be chatting about the return of the moustaches, and then after that, <laughs> uh, in the Good Review Guide, known to some as the Good Review Guy, we're reviewing guy. the reviews of Blake Seven, the Terra Nostra and Torchwood, Caddock Point. Where is the Liberator now? I think it's always there, but only when it wants to be seen. Then we present the first of two teasers of this week's Doctor Who Short Trips Volume 12 release. Out on Thursday the 2nd of February, AWOL by Angus Dunican, a third Doctor and Brigadier mini-drama performed by John Colshaw. One thing at a time, eh, Monroe? Following that, we once again delve with renewed vigour into listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. In our also available segment this week, we delve back in time to the space year 2001. And courtesy of Dwayne Bunny of uh, the Sons of Audio. Very good, check them out. We take a look at Johnny Morris's classic sixth Doctor Silurian story, Blood Tide. Some sort of lizard, I think. Then the Randomoids Electrotron will be delivering yet another mystery release with a 25% discount skillfully attached to it by Jackie Emery. What will it be? I have no idea. But with the magic of editing a clip in later, here's a tease. Oh, Doctor, but it's thrilling. And finally, as you've come to expect, we round off the podcast with a free 15-minute drama tease. And this week, it's another blast from Doctor Who Short Trips Volume 12. Safia Ingar reads an 11th Doctor and Valerie story, The Galois Group, by Felicia Barker. The Doctor told me the rules when we met, and that was fine. But then he broke them. Suddenly, he could cross the lines we couldn't cross, but only when he said so. It wasn't that he was lying or that he didn't care. It was simpler than that, and much harder to fix. Uh, You know we were discussing the moustaches sported by the Master's Guard in the 1972 Third Doctor story, The Sea Devils. Yeah, 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 I do yeah. remember that. I remember the, the initial text before the podcast where you, you actually text me to, to inform me of this discovery. <laughs> well, we've had an email about that from Adam Graham. He says that that moustache feeling or dangerous sentient moustaches in fiction. It's interesting he spells moustaches without an O in there. So it's, oh, you can't do that. 
Well, yeah, oh, no. I thought it might be an American thing or something, but there you go. Uh, dear Nick and Benji, uh, during your discussion of the Third Doctor era story, The Sea Devils, Benji referenced that all the Master's Guards wore moustaches and suggested that there might be some devilry done by sentient moustaches that attack the guard. I'm actually writing to inform you that there is a story of sentient moustaches. This was told in the season three episode of the American 1990s animated series, The Tick. In my opinion, the most hilarious superhero comedy this side of the 1960s Batman show. In the season three episode, the mus- that moustache feeling, the titular hero wakes up with a moustache on his face. The moustache gives the tick a new, more confident hip attitude. However, it also resists any attempts to groom it by growing <laughs> out from the face and throttling the tick. <laughs> the episode also features a Shields uh, slash Charlie's Angels parody organisation that's pursuing the moustache called Project Shave. <laughs> I wonder what the S-H-A-V-E stands for. I couldn't help but wonder in Benji's childhood if he saw this episode on retransmission and that the idea of sentient moustaches was buried deep in his psyche, only to emerge with the podcast all these years later. Is that uh... Uh, I can't even remember watching The Tick, to be no, honest. No, I've never I'm just, heard I'm of just, it. <laughs> I'm just um, Googling. I, va- I vaguely remember the look of him, but I, can also, I wonder if it was broadcast on Fox TV as a kid. Um, yes, there he goes, original part of the Fox group. Um, but I have no recollection of it whatsoever, I'm afraid. Adam, I'm sorry. Well, sorry about that, Adam. He says, at any rate, keep up the good work. This is the first email of the New Year, so I did want uh, to belatedly send the New Year's wishes. May your year be happy and your moustaches remain non-sentient. Adam Graham. Uh, thank you, Adam. Uh, <laughs> the f- you see, we've got quite a backlog of emails from the new year, so expect more new year wishes in the coming weeks, even though... It's a bit of a surprise, it, isn't we're, it? We're into you, the you second know. months of, of 2023. Um, also, I wanted to draw attention to the word sentient, which mm. Tom Baker always pronounces sentient. Sentient. Yeah, he's always done it. it. And, uh, that's sentient. How, and the first time I encountered the word was hearing him saying sentient. Uh, I can't remember which story. Write in and tell me. I can't. Do you know which story he first said it in? I can't remember. I can imagine it, w- it would surely, surely. I mean, it would have to be robot, just because talking of you know, robots and sentience. Mm, I don't think so. Know, or or Ark in space. I wonder. Let's, let, I let's work this out. Doctor Who robot script. Oh my gosh! And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do a quick. I'm gonna find this one out, Nick. I'm yeah. gonna find this out now, once and for all. He doesn't say Sentient it in robot. life forms. I can't, I can't remember him saying it. What does he it? say it in our And I noticed space. that when I've worked with him, he, he always says it that way. Sentient. Doesn't say it in Santaran experiment. Daleks. Doesn't say it in ah, the Dalek. Pyra- what about Pyramids of Mars? I think he says it in Pyramids of Mars. Nope. Doesn't say it in Pyramids of Mars. What? Sentient. Sentient. Uh, Revenge of the Cybermen. Doesn't say are you, it in are that. you spelling it correctly? S e n t i e n t. Yeah, no, no, just yeah, checking. Yeah, no, rather no, patronising of me. I I'm not a, I'm not a fool, Nick. I'm not a fool. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, I, I thought you were. Sorry. Surely, I mean, it could just be that the scripts, the transcripts aren't aren't actually accurate. Because I'm up to I'm up to the android invasion. He still hasn't said sentient. Rainer Morbius. I mean, we're this far in now, Nick. We're just going to keep going. This, this is this is on the seas of doom. Mask of Mandragora still hasn't said it. 
uh, pronounced Mask of Mandragora before it came Mandragora. out. Every, that's why everyone thought it was pronounced like... Well, before I watched it, I, was, I remember thinking that when I read it in books, when I saw the title, I, you know, you just assume that, wouldn't you? Well, it was the trailer that gave it away, and I, we'd already heard the title for some reason, and my my mate Nick Layton had said to me, oh, it's the new story, it's called The Mask of Mandragora. I thought, well, that's an interesting name. And then it, the BBC announcer said, join the doctrine, The Mask of Mandragora. I thought, what? 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 Excuse me? What are you doing? That's not how this fictional word has been said. <laughs> um, we're up to the Sunmakers, no. and he still hasn't said it. Surely. I, it's not. Surely. It, it happened before then, I'm, I'm certain. Well, I, I, ticked, I tried another word, and it's found that in there. Um, mm. Ah, ah, ha, 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 ha. We found tw two mentions of it. Yes. In The Invasion of Time. Really? Where uh, Andred says it at one point. And Kellner. No, well, I the, the doctor. doctor definitely says it. Some, hmm. Well, uh, now it's and uh, now it's uh, the Rebos uh, experiment. It's come in, and K nine says it twice. Yeah. Um, K nine, you mean? What did I say? You said K nine. K K nine. Uh, K nine says it again. <laughs> in there's definitely stones of blood. Is it said in he there? He must no. have added it in. It, at some point. Come on, this is a question for Stephen Noonan. He'll know when Tom Baker first said sentient or sentient. He'll, he'll know it. I know it's holding up the podcast, but I'm so far this in This is what now. the podcast is really about. The Doctor says it in Destiny of the Daleks. Ah, does Any he? Any sentient life uh, through their canine. Forget lead shielding will prevent effective analysis. That's where it, that's in where Destiny it said Destiny of first. the Daleks? Apparently so, yeah. Canine isn't in Destiny of the Daleks. Oh, no, the Armageddon factor. I don't know why I said Destiny of the Daleks. Armageddon out of here. It's because I was reading Destiny. Because It's because, yeah, Armageddon factor. Sorry. There we well, go. He is, he is in it, but he just goes, eh. Armageddon factor is where it said. Romana, Doctor? Doctor? What? Romana, remember what we were saying about the Black Guardian? Yes, what? Um, yeah, there we go. So there um, we go, we figured it out. Well, excellent, um, but it's not right. It, he said it before then, I'm absolutely certain. Uh, it must, prove it me must wrong, have been prove me right, folks. In. Let me know. Um, I'd just like to add something else in here that isn't in your script, Benji. Um, uh, chatting on text with Stephen Noonan last night, uh, he, we were talking about theme tunes. Uh, a lot of Americans call theme tunes theme songs. And this is relevant here because these are songs I'm going to talk about. There was a series called Catch Candy, and he's because he said it was a really catchy theme. Uh, Catch that's right, candy. because I sent him that Smarties thing I sent you, the Smarties advert. Smarty people are happy people. <laughs> they smile all the time because they're feeling fine. Anyway, um, <laughs> which I was able to sing that song to Jamie Anderson yesterday without even checking on YouTube. It was 1970, it. that advert, and I knew the I knew the words to the song. Just Ridiculous. etched into your brain. Crazy, isn't it? Um, anyway, uh, and Stephen said, oh, well, this is a catchy thing that I can never get out of my head, and it's called Catch Candy. And, it's the, and I never, it's an Australian imported series, imported into the UK, about a little boy who goes on the run, basically. I think he's suspected of murder or so. I don't know what it is. Uh, but it's one of those theme songs that it tells the entire setup for the series. So imagine, like, if The Prisoner had a theme song, uh, you know, because, 
Oh, he's listening to it now. The, it, you know, the entire starting sequence of The Prisoner is the setup of the series, isn't it? It shows you the whole thing. It's all you part could, of it, yeah. You could imagine if they had a song, it would do that. Well, there's also another one which is absolutely hilarious, which is a series called The Lost Islands, which has the entire setup of the series in a song. Five children were left behind. It's all oh, about there's um, sake. There's a disaster at sea on a, a ship called the United World, which is children from all over the world uh, on a lovely sailing boat, but it had, gets into a storm and the, it founders and um, everyone gets off apart from five children were left behind. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they go through this sort of huge tidal wave or something and they end up on this island where people are living like in back in history times and they're ruled over by a man who gets carried around in a sedan chair who wears a mask what was this uh, called i, I vaguely the remember lost islands. <laughs> lost but can you imagine if they decided to do doctor who like that you know there was a song explaining doctor who at the beginning <laughs> he travels he around left, in the big blue box <laughs> he <Yeah>. left gallifrey <laughs> in a bit of a hurry Watch out for the Daleks, you know. Like, yes, and it's the way when they sing these songs, the they do the quiet bits that are really trying to grab your attention. It's all sort of terribly and sincere. It's funny. It's obviously a real style at that time to do to do this. To, I suppose for children, it's saying this yeah. is what it's about because kids aren't going to get it. Have you, you know, have so you listened like, to the Lost Islands? I'm that one's that's often quoted by people because it's just so hilarious because it just seems to go on forever, and it has the so lost. many different little phases to it. You just think, all oh, right, that's uh, oh right, oh no, there's more. Okay, <laughs> the the Lost Islands, you say? Yes, I do say. Okay, Lost Islands theme. It also, at the end of the first episode, I, mean, I don't know whether they do it every episode, in the closing theme they kind of say, so that's what just happened, but what will happen next? <laughs> Here we go. now listening. I don't think you can hear it though. There once was a wealthy man who had a wonderful idea To bring children from all places with all kinds of faces Together into a sailing ship There were 40 boys and girls They would sail their ship around the globe So they called it The United, United World. World The ship was just three weeks from shore When a hurricane bore down The waves were big as mountains They felt they would surely drown They jumped into the lifeboats Rode away from the wreck Storm all night, then finally fell asleep. They didn't realize the ship had been blown across so deep into the lost islands. Don't worry, it's not over yet. Billy Connolly was a watchful pair of eyes, and living in the valley were people lost in time, ruled over by a tyrant whose face was in a mask. The children must have beat him. So they can escape at last from the lost islands. <laughs> the lost islands. <laughs> it's glorious, isn't it? And the I like that. I quite I quite enjoyed that. 
I might have to sit and watch the Lost Islands now just to see <laughs> the man in the hooded mask. In a hooded mask. A man in a hooded mask. There's a bloke in the trees My children there. were left <laughs> behind. <laughs> they have to escape in the last island. I mean, it goes on a long time, but I think it's definitely one verse too long. You know, it's it's you think, oh, God, more. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they definitely, whoever did the theme tune, he was in on a promise. You know, say, oh, yeah, Mike, don't worry, mate. We'll get you in on the theme tune. And then, you know, he produces this thing and everybody in the office is going, it's a bit long, isn't it? And the, the director's then, yeah, I know, but, you know, I, I said to him he could do it, you know. <laughs> so, did you like that that bit in The Lost Islands about the man in the hooded mask? <laughs> I love that bit. Don't know why he's northern. Um, they say, oh, well, yeah, okay, all right, write him in. You know, just leave it, we'll leave it. That's 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 that tone of voice he does when it's... It's spinning. peril. It's, it's, it's the, you know, watch out, there's something out there. You know, it's very... Oh, Glorious, Why don't we Imagine do more theme Doctor tunes Who like with this? That, eh? Get somebody to write it. This is it, you know. Somebody you, in the podcast world. Yeah, come on. All you budding songwriters out there, I want a song about the Doctor Who that explains it, it all got, from the beginning. We'll get Peter to, Davison to, to write and sing it, Button Moon style. Yeah, that'd be, he would be brilliant at that. What, a, do a good what an amazing singer-songwriter he is. Yes. Oh, if only. If only he, he could do it. That would be Never a mind. dream come true or a nightmare. You decide. Time now for our good review guide, finding the latest positive comments about Big Finish Productions to help recommend them. For you. And as promised this week, we're looking at Blake 7, the Terra Nostra and Torchwood Catapoint. Let's start with Blake 7. If we're going to make a deal, we need to start out by being honest with each other. I'm Jenna Stannis. Who are you? She's a terrorist. A freedom fighter? She's one of Blake's crew. Where is the Liberator now? We were separated after the war. I've got no part in any of it anymore. From Big Finish Productions, the worlds of Blake 7, the Terra Nostra. The Terra Nostra are here on Store Jaden. I shouldn't be surprised they've got a presence on every colonized world. Have you dealt with the Terra Nostra before? It didn't leave me rushing back to repeat the experience. You must have made quite an impression. Let's just say it involves a big explosion and an awful lot of hard drugs. She resembles a known enemy of the Terra Nostra. Confirm that and it will be excellent news. And a great opportunity for you. Yes, Enforcer. I won't make any mistakes. You certainly won't make any you'll live to regret. Sorry for keeping you. We had some business to take care of. So did I until you kidnapped me. Think of it as a rescue. The Federation are no friends of mine, Villa. Believe me, I have no interest in turning you over to them. Then what do you want? I want to offer you a job. A job? Villa's comrades crossed the Terra Nostra a while back in Space City. How did you know? Villa Restor. Who wants to know? You hurt. I'll live, unless your enforcer has other plans. As a matter of fact, he does. Oh, and what's that? Retribution. Just my luck to bump into you again. There's no luck about it. I think you're taking the whole puppeteer thing a bit literally. You can't see it because you're too close to it. You're involved. You all are. I 
promise to make you rich if you bring me Rog Blake. You can predict what will happen if you don't. You'll withhold my contract fee. I was going to say your head on a spike, but yes, that too. <laughs> Not your style. You prefer a clean kill. Try me and see. Any progress? That's what I came to tell you. Villa Restel has arrived on Space City. Hello, Hinton. Jenna, I didn't expect to see you. Lucky for you that I had unfinished business on Space City. Oh, I can't wait to see Avon's face when you come back on board. He'll be trying to reach his friends, but when he does, we'll be waiting. Big finish for the love of stories. This is Immy Pack. <laughs> you can use it to choose when your victim dies. Just like the Liberator crew, they're all marked for death. Just go to bigfinish.com <laughs> da, 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 and type Terra Nostra into the search pane at the top to find this one. Yeah, uh, we better first stop up, that. We better in stop that. IndieMacUser.com. Um, <laughs> Ian McArdle says, um, oh, just, I've, I've just given IndieMacUser their own theme tune. IndieMacUser. Um, <laughs> uh, the two Blake 7 regulars are well catered for here working alone Jenna is granted the space to become the smuggling badass that we have always told she was but seldom saw for Villa he's as lovably entertaining as ever and driven by more than cowardice particularly in the final story director Lisa Bauman assembles an impressive cast around them and nails the grittier more conspiratorial tone that these tales demand I also uh, rather enjoyed the Neon Soaked cover by Tom Newsom. Mm, neon Soaked, eh? Good work from Tom Newsom. Yeah, you see, uh, and Lisa Bauman does gets brilliant actors, brilliant casting. Yeah, uh, this is from Blake7Online.com. M one seven nine five five three seven O C Vian. Very important. S said this review <laughs> overall. <laughs> An overall... We haven't had an overall alert for some time, have we? No, people have been learning, but not, yeah. clearly not M1795537OCVIRN. No, no way. They've no. not learned, I mean, they? catchy name. What, um, what do you think the percentage of uh, people who do reviews is who, who actually listen to the Big Finish podcast? <laughs> about, regularly? Yeah. Regularly, about I reckon... I reckon, I reckon 10% regularly. 0.1. But I, I think it spikes up sometimes when something funny is said. Somebody else will then say to them, Hey, you heard. You know, uh, you've now got a theme tune, Indie Mac user. And Ian McCardle will go, Oh, really? Wow. Listen in and say, It's rubbish. Um, and then never listen again. And what about Peter Nolan? Do you think he's listening now? You know, uh, when well, he's not mentions. doing an acting job. Yeah, you know, he's, I think <laughs> he's starring in. He's starring in. He's acting time day. machine. You know, um, he's he's starring in some something with um, who who would he be? Oh, you know something. Against? Oh, it's one of those sort of with a raffia base. You know, you Peter know. Peter Nolan. He did Peter the, Nolan. Um, the Peter, thing. He was no. Do you remember? Because Peter no. It's one of those blokes that said, "Oh, you know, he was um, he was in everything. He was in. Uh, he played he played that bloke who gets whacked around the head with a tea tray in in this story. So, oh, you mean Peter Nolan? Peter Nolan. Peter that's the type Nolan. of bloke, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's who Peter Nolan is. Peter Nolan. Anyway, back to M17, which I believe is their uh, nickname. 
Overall, it's a satisfying trio of tales, asking and answering many of the questions fans have speculated about for years. This is what we want from Big Finish, you see. Uh, starting from the television series, small clues, lesser characters, and even throwaway remarks. No, throw away those remarks! <laughs> have been expanded, and the result <laughs> creates a much bigger picture. Just throw it away! Throw it away! Shove it in the it. bin! Burn it! Don't want that remark. Oh, you finished. <laughs> Sorry, I was, I was, yeah, I was, my career's I was just, over. I was just, <laughs> I was just getting t too into this reality of throwing everything away. Just imagining you emptying a filing cabinet, throwing it. You know when paper does that thing where it takes ages to get on the floor? Oh, just surrounded with isn't paper. Isn't that annoying? <laughs> uh, now, Torchwood uh, Caddock Point. From Big Finish Productions. Torchwood Caddock Point. Three men all painted Caddock Point before they went missing. And so did you. You've seen my painting? Yes. Then surely you must have some idea what happened to them. Don't go to Caddock Point and stop looking at the pictures if that's what you've been doing. The chapel. It wasn't there before, I'm certain of that. And though there was no bell in its tower, I could still hear it chiming away. The chapel down in the cove. I don't know how old it was meant to be, but well, that day it looked ancient. And it is there. I think it's always there. But only when it wants to be seen. If I go down to the cove right now, will I see it? Almost certainly. But you mustn't. Show me... Show me everything. Big Finish for the love of stories. Uh, just go to bigfinish.com and type Kazakh, not Haddock, uh, into the search pane. I thought we'd do that hilarious joke. It's At the top to find this one. First up, uh, cultbox.co.uk, Ian McArdle. Gets around. He yeah. does. He's been with IndieMag user. I wonder what the cult box theme would be. Cult box. Cult box. Yeah, it would definitely be a cult, cult box. box. Cult box. Ding, 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 ding. A cult box. That was my open university version of cult box. Uh, <laughs> this is getting far too specialist. I apologise. Uh, David Llewellyn's story is a thought-provoking one. It deals with themes of love, loss and regret, as well as a life's, life lived without the chance to be open with one's family. While there's no great technical science fiction explanation, something fantastical, brackets, and monstrous, close brackets, does lurk at its heart. That gets five stars from Ian, Ian McArdle. <laughs> Stop well, warpedfactor.com, Tony Filer. Come on. Filer, Tony Flyer's Flying Circus. The excellent. Listen to Kellogg Point today and you'll get lessons on art and on humanity and on yeah. inspiration and loss. But most of all, you get lessons in how to do the right thing, no matter how late and no matter what the potential cost. Starting to go at New York then. Hey, no matter what the potential cost. It's a masterpiece uh, of dramatic construction. That's right. It's like people on, you know, building site going, um, you know, my must use my jackhammer. <laughs> dramatic construction, uh, performance and pacing. Its lessons have never felt more relevant than they do right now. Did you know, people listening in the US, that what you call a jackhammer, we call it a pneumatic drill. <laughs> hey. Much more, much more sort of, yeah. I got my jackhammer. 
Yes, uh, would you pass the pneumatic drill? <laughs> Sounds like a condiment, doesn't it? You know, it's that level of... Would you, would you mind awfully passing the pneumatic drill? <laughs> I just want to drill a hole in my chips. Uh, or rather, fries. Um, whoreview.com, Harvey Edwards. Oh, Harvey Edwards. Now, what did he do? Was uh, he... Ha- um... Har- Harvey Edwards. I, I reckon Harvey Edwards is like one of those sort of producers. Like maybe a, a yeah, lots of TV, I mean? like, lots of kids TV did Harvey, Harvey Yeah, Edwards. like Harvey Edwards. And it, he, he would actually sort of affect... They, they would affectionately sort of call that part of telly. Like, oh, it's that the Harvey Edwards hour. Like, you That's know, it's right, a couple of his yeah. cartoons. And then he does this sort of drama about people living in a cupboard or something. That's right. You and know. he did that series. You know how? Well, he did yes. one called Why. <laughs> Why? Just a bunch of people what? just questioning everything. Why? Why? Yes, well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. Why? <laughs> it just never ended. It went on forever until they cut the power, you know. <laughs> Tragic, Paul really. Well, Harvey says, Why? Uh, Caddock Point is a brilliant release to start off the 2022 Tortured Range. That's right. Right. It was a year ago. And if the rest of the year's story is as good as this, good and better and brilliant, it'll be another great year for the range. Four stars or the stub of the toe. Ah! You decide. That's, yeah, that is... Harvey's frustrated because he's just not getting any commissions at the moment. He's you know? <laughs> um, tried to, to launch when... But they didn't have a lot of mileage, you know. No. There's only so no. much you can go, you know. Oh, when did that happen? Just, you see what I mean? It's got no buzz to it. He did, there was a new, another one he did called Throwaway, about throwaway remarks. Just throw it away! <laughs> Just throw it away. That's right, and now you get to throw it away! <laughs> Throw it away. Um, Blockdahoo.com, Peter Nolan, uh, says, Canuck Point shows just how mature and reflective the storytelling in Torture can be. It takes a measured pace um, and explores character and emotion rather than zapping laser battles. Uh, And it's a story that deserves to be remembered when awards are next being handed out for quality audio drama. Yes, should get an award. Uh, SonicReviewWho.wordpress.com uh, and the reviews by Lennon Who. Lennon? Len, I don't know. Lennon Who. Overall, <laughs> we've got a, a crop of overalls this week, haven't we? Uh, a brilliantly asth- asth- asthmatic, I nearly said, atmospheric and uncomfortable tale which uh, writhes and wriggles about your brain, full of vivid and evocative characters. Just enough, Andy Davison. Just not enough to Andy Davison. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, nine out of ten. Pretty good mark there from Lennon Who. Well, over on the sphere of twits, <laughs> Twitter, Twittergopolis, Matthew Vernon 3. That's a northern entertainer if ever there was one. It's Matthew Ber- Matthew Vernon on Blackpool P- Beach. Um, there's three of torture- them. There's three, three of them. The Vernon brothers. <laughs> torture Cadet Point by the Dai Lu, that's David Llewellyn, uh, is ruddy mysterious Daddy. and bloody magnificent. <gasps> that bell is going to haunt my nightmares. Long. Uh, at Peter Della One, uh, highly recommended the latest at Big Finish Torchwood Caddock Point with an um, unsettling story, fine acting, and depth of characterization and story inspiration explained in the attached behind the scenes interviews. Excellent job at David Clewellyn and all involved. And that's it from the Good Review Guy this week. Next time we'll be talking about Doctor Who, Peladon. 
still to come on the podcast. Listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Our tease of Doctor Who short trips, The Galois Group by Felicia Barker and read by Safia Ingar. Plus the Randomoid Selectatron, as random as ever, giving you a 25% discount on an audio adventure you just didn't expect. So you might not have picked it up there, but when you said tease, I went... Oh, I was not going to do it because I'm holding it now. I'm holding it now, see, but it was that. Was well, of course, Zoom tees, stops yeah. me from hearing the chink yeah, of the, it's all the lost. teacups. But it'll on, be there on the recording. It'll be fine, folks. You'll have heard it, but thank goodness we've explained it now. And there we go. <laughs> but first, anyway, our first hmm. short trips tease of the podcast. Ooh. It's out this week on Tuesday, the 2nd of February. It'll be Thursday, actually. Oh, so, uh, big yes, because I can't read. Uh, Thursday, the 2nd of February, Doctor Who Short Trips, Volume 12, A War by Angus Dunican. I have to and tell you now, because I thought it was funny earlier when you called him Dunican. I'm pretty certain it's Dunican, isn't it? Is it Dunican? Oh, yeah, I'm so he's sorry, not, Angus. He's not uh, Val Dunican, the uh, famous Irish uh, singer. Oh, if only, if only. Never Some mind. Some of my best friends are songs. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a name I do know. And that's John Coleshaw, who performed AWOL. So, yes. as in, he performed AWOL. He didn't, he didn't perform it somewhere where we don't know where he is. Um, and I think you'll agree, though, regardless of everything that's just been said, this is something rather special. rang this morning, sir. He seemed, uh, he seemed concerned about the, um... About the Mars Probe 7 situation? Yes, yes, sir. Mm. And you told him what we agreed, I trust? Yes, yes, I told him that while you were technically on leave, that you were in the field securing outside expertise, sir. Good, good, that should hold him for a bit. Um, do you mind if I ask where you are, sir? Peru, sir. That's right. I've been in Supe Puerto for about two days. Can't say I think too much of the place, so everyone's been very hospitable. Um, any luck, sir? No. No, nothing concrete yet. But I've had certain assurances, and it's a small place. Barely more than a fishing community. He can't have gotten far. Monroe, if you don't hear from me before, I'll report back at 1,400 hours tomorrow. Listen. One last thing. Has Miss Shaw been consulted about the contingency plan? Yes, sir. I briefed her myself last night. Good man. How did she take it? She's, uh, She's, um, ready to do what's necessary, sir. Hmm. See to it that she has everything she needs. Yes, sir. Sir? Yes, Captain. What if the doctor refuses to cooperate? One thing at a time, eh, Monroe? 
Carry on. Now then, Doctor. Coming, ready or not. Uh, pardon me, excuse me, have you seen uh, uh, about this tall, uh, white hair? Uh, Palo Blanco. No? Would have turned up about a month ago. Uh, pardon me, has visto a este hombre? One, please. Uh, gracias. Um, while you're here, I don't suppose you've seen the uh, shock of white hair. No, 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 I uh, didn't think you had. Never mind, never mind. Confound you, Doctor. Tiresome, irresponsible, ungrateful. Come on, think, old man. You're not licked yet. One thing at a time, Alistair. One thing at a time. What in the blazes? I. I do not believe it. Just let me be beside the seaside. Just let me be beside you. You know, Doctor, if you wanted to have some time off, I would have happily sent you to Brighton for the weekend. Ah. Brigadier. Oh, it's funny, you know, I had a feeling today it was going rather too well. Flippancy will get you nowhere, Doctor. On the contrary, Brigadier. It's gotten me considerably further than anyone on this absurd planet. Yes, well, be that what as What I can do without is interruptions, but I'm attending to serious business. I can imagine it doesn't look like anything terribly pressing to you. Nothing interesting to shoot at. Bar the odd whelk. Doctor, I've already wasted a great deal of time. Ah, yes. Yes. Ah, that reminds me. I was curious as to how long it would take you to find me. Doctor! Ah, there we are. Three weeks, four days, 17 hours, 56 minutes, and 12 seconds. How? How what? Finding me. How did you do it? Impressed, are we? Don't flatter yourself, Brigadier. I'll admit the trail went a bit cold at Whitby. We found Bessie looking a tad worse for wear, but no sign of you. However, since the Silurians, we've had a few friends of ours cast their eyes over some of the more ancient archaeological sites, see if there's any further sign of them. Very wise. As luck would have it, our man dispatched to investigate the ruins at Carroll heard tell of another foreigner poking about. A man exactly matching your description. Ah. That's better. So, you came all the way out here to investigate personally. Now who's flattering themselves, Doctor? No, I had other local operatives in the region confirm before. What are you doing? It's removing these shoes and socks, Brigadier. Very well go wearing them in the sea, now can I? 
Now then. Let's get these trouser legs rolled up. Oh, for heaven's sake. There we are. Tide's going out, Brigadier. Last chance for a pedal. Come along. Doctor. Doctor, we haven't finished. Doctor, come back at once. Ah, yes, that's the stuff. The texture of sand and water underfoot. Very good for the soul, wouldn't you say? Hmm? Yes, well, very well, never mind. But why don't you come and join me? Suit yourself. One should always stand in the Pacific Ocean at sunset when one can. Is that right? The peaceful sea, Magellan called it. Very pleased he was with himself, too. Harped on about it for days. If there's one thing humans love, it's naming things. Doctor, if you would just be reasonable. I don't see that I'm being particularly unreasonable. After all, I've allowed you to find me. Allowed? Yes, Brigadier, allowed. Those ham-fisted blunderers you call operatives have all the subtlety of a startled house cat. I could hear their claws on the kitchen floor a mile away. Mind you, I was hoping you'd have taken a little bit longer. I had hoped to have had a day down by the sea to myself. However, seeing as you have come all this way, I suppose I'd better ask exactly what you're after. Answers, Doctor. If that's what you want, you're on the wrong continent. I've some good friends in Tibet I could point you towards. Explanations, then? Ah, you left. You abandoned your post. My post? If this were a time of war, you could be shot. Only soldiers can be deserters. And I am not a soldier. You gave no formal notice. Tendered no resignation. Ah, so that's it. I never had you pegged as such a clerical zealot, Brigadier. You came all this way in the name of bureaucracy. Well then, for clarity's sake, I resign. Now, does that satisfy you? No. I can have my secretary dash off something more formal for you, just as soon as I remember to hire one. Doctor, you're getting here the way you did ruffled more than a few feathers. Had you been flying? Would you have preferred it if I'd tunneled? You were a stowaway, Doctor. What you did was hugely illegal. Ah, very well. That explains that. Explains what? Explains why it was so much fun. You impersonated an air stewardess. They found the poor girl locked in a broom cupboard. Ah, yes. Yes, well, I, uh, I do regret doing that to poor Fiona. But I had to, you see. All the other in-flight staff were too short. Their dresses would never have fitted me. Doctor, I've had to go to a great deal of trouble for you. <clears throat> the Ministry are furious for my allowing you of the freedom that you have. They don't understand your... Well, your value to unit. Your value to our work. My value? Even so, there were some that were in favor of declaring you a wanted man. You may be blissfully unaware of this, Doctor, but you are an illegal alien. Oh, am I now? Well, well, well. So now you've come to take me back, have you? Will you come back? No. Oh. No, I don't think I will. 
At least not for a while. If I'm going to be stuck in this awkward time of yours, I might just as well use it to poke around a bit. I've been all over this world countless times, of course. But things so rarely stay where you leave them. This stone, for instance. Could have sworn I left him on a beach in Nice, and yet, here I find the little rascal. Mind you, when it comes to wandering off, well, that he was without sin, huh? Doctor, there really is no time for this. Indeed, Brigadier. Far less time than you think. I did have my qualms about this body going in. Especially since I had no choice in the matter. But you know, these really are a most intrepid pair of trotters. Yes. Well, you've got awfully quiet, Brigadier. Not that I'm complaining, but... You'll disappoint me, Doctor. <laughs> if you would be so good as to share the joke. Oh, forgive me. It's just amusing to me. You think you can shame me into coming back to the fold? Just so I can say how high when you say jump. As if that were a valorous use of my time. In any case, it's not as though you're totally up a gum tree. Miss Shaw is an extremely gifted scientist. Quite capable of attending to your needs 99% of the time. You're absolutely right. What? Dr. Shaw is indeed eminently qualified. Good. I'm very glad we agree. Oh, don't tell her I said so. Also, I imagine that long term, it'll be safer for the poor girl. Safer? Hmm? Without me? That is what we are discussing, isn't it? Do you mind telling me what you mean by that? When we first met, Doctor, during that dreadful business in the underground, you had two young friends with you, Miss Waterfield and that boy, McCrimmon. Yes, and what of it? Well, then, somewhere along the way, you somehow misplaced one bright young thing and picked up another, Miss Harriet. Then we meet you again. You seem to have lost not just the pair of them, but also your face. What are you driving at, Brigadier? What I'm driving at is perhaps it was foolish of me to place so much in the hands of such a butterfingered chap as you. My fault, really. I'm sorry to have troubled you. Now, just wait a moment. Well, just go to bigfinish.com and type this one. Type short trips into the search pane at the top and you'll discover our full short trips range. And volume 12 will be at the top. And remember, it's released this week on Thursday, the 2nd of February. Meanwhile, it's time for listeners' uh, uh, um, emails. That's right, and if you want to email in, well, you can, and we'll get around to them next year. And we get a lot of them, we're getting through them, don't worry. So if you <laughs> have emailed in, I expect they'll appear at some point. That's certainly what happens to uh, Steve Craddock. When Steve Craddock emailed in to podcast.bigfinish.com, the subject is... Hi there. Hi there. <laughs> uh, a happy and productive new year to you both. Thank you. Apologies for not cluttering up your inbox for a while. <laughs> 
but I'm catching up on BF podcasts following a rather busy couple of months, and so was disappointed to come late to the 80s music discussion. Uh, there was some great stuff around them, and many artists are still busy and creative, oh, yeah. such as OMD, Orchestra mm-hmm. Maneuvers in the Dark, and Gary Newman. Yeah. Uh, one audio curio I have is a 12-inch release of pop music by M, bow, uh, which had bow, a double-track A-side. Nick's giving us a full rendition now. <laughs> um, to which track you heard depended on where the needle settled on the grooves. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, off-tangent, that's me. Uh, but possibly also of interest uh, is a photo disc album featuring the original TV soundtracks of Star Trek's The Cage and Where No Man Has Gone Before. Oh. Wow. I would have loved that. Yeah, Amazing. I've got... I haven't got the picture... I don't think mine was a picture disc, but I did have the album. I don't know if I've still got it. Do I have... I've got, I've got two picture discs. I've got one of Ziggy Stardust and the other of um, Slaves to the Rhythm with um what's her name uh slay grace to jones. The rhythm. grace jones grace jones that's how it, that's how it opens isn't it ladies and gentlemen miss grace jones superb it has that amazing oh wicked um mm. before the end of the year i too watched the day of the Daleks, actually, is it is it Day of the Daleks or the Day of the Daleks? This sure is a Day very old Daleks. debate. I'm pretty certain it's just Day of the Daleks, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it is. It's the Day of the Daleks. It's, uh, it's Day of the Daleks. Um, sorry, Steve. Um, come on. Uh, watched on BritBox uh, and was equally pleased and surprised to see Nick's end credit. Uh, I didn't realise till then that they had remastered the audio as well as the video, but remembered enjoying the story at the time. And it was good to see it again. Variable acting quality notwithstanding. Uh, <laughs> though I thought Aubrey Woods was convincing in his role as the mm. controller. Uh, I was intrigued to learn via Wikipedia that a building local uh, to me was used for the controller's futuristic base. And we'll have to rewatch it again for confirmation. Mm. When you do, um, you have to go out there and take a photo of yourself uh, being the controller. That's yes, your job. definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, as someone who said in uh, listeners emails uh, section I'm also way behind with Big Finish audios and must try to catch up there are just too many good things coming out um, it was also good to hear the name check for many excellent 60s shows that Big Finish has restored to life for us such as Prisoner, Callum, The Avengers Adam, Adamant, et al all shows I enjoyed so much back in the day mm-hmm. and for which I still have a great fondness uh, so it has been wonderful to immerse myself in them once again uh, thank you big finish for so much audio goodness that's all for now i have a conquest of earth to repel <laughs> cheers and that's steve jack craddock <laughs> excellent Brilliant. see you on the see you on the saucer <laughs> oh dear i must turn my notifications off it keeps buzzing like a bee Stop it. Okay. Uh, James Munro uh, writes in, uh, the subject is what lies inside Paradox of the Daleks. Uh, hi there. Hi there. Hi there. Dear Nick and Benji, just wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I finally heard a Dalek say, hey, oh, smelt it, smelt it. <laughs> yeah, courtesy of John Dory. Thanks, John. Thank you so much. Haven't laughed so much in ages. Absolutely brilliant. 
Thank you so much. With best regards, James N. M. And a laughter emoji. I'm really crying with laughter. Well, yeah, there you edited that story, so you remember did, that yeah. line. I remember that very well. Yeah, good, good fun. That good fun. Naughty. A bit, a bit of naughtiness there. A bit, a bit of Dalek fun. A bit of Dalek fun. Um, we've got one final email here from N. A. Parry. Uh, it says here the continuing memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. Oh. Hello. Hi there. I'm writing to say how much I have loved the Sherlock Holmes range. Everything about them is wonderfully done. They're the kind of audios you can actually live in the duration. Very immersive. Will there be any more sets featuring this illustrious sleuth uh, and his irreplaceable sidekick? I love how writer Jonathan Barnes has added to the mythos and at last allowed Watson to be very lucky in love. Will Jonathan Barnes continue to write, or might there be some more Conan Doyle adaptations? All very best wishes on the continuing brilliance of Big Finish. Where would we be without you? N.A. Perry. Parry. N.A. Parry. <laughs> um, well, uh, I was just laughing at the fact that uh, Benji likes to call N.A. Parry N.A. Perry. I don't know why. Um Yes, there will be more. Uh, Jonathan Barnes has written some brilliant scripts and we will be recording them at some point this year. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I seem to remember there was uh, uh, some rather unkind fan on the internet who every time he mentioned my name, he said Nick Briggs, Sherlock Holmes. No, what's he say? Nick uh, Sherlock Holmes, Vanity Project Briggs. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> nice, isn't really it? really amused oh. me. Uh, I don't think it is too much of a vanity project because one of the definitions of a vanity project is that it's no good and no one likes it <laughs> uh, and and luckily these have all turned out rather well so uh these have done brilliantly that's and, a relief they, isn't it they continue yeah. and they continue to to uh get great reviews i think yeah. jonathan barnes on a personal note mm. i think jonathan barnes is just so good at writing and getting that era of kind of victorian london and everything about it it feels very real it's a real pleasure to read and and of course coupled with the you know with the cast yourself and Richard Earle it's just such a lovely it's a real lovely production you know I, I was called in to, to do sound on it this no last year or the year before it all blows into one <laughs> but it was just lo- it was just lovely it felt like a real felt like word I would use it was quite homebrew it felt very like there was something nice about it real creative element all the way through so uh, it's nice to see some love for that uh, Nick, whenever you're ready, take us out. Guide us out of listeners' emails. <laughs> okay, well, it's fry. this way. Come on, just down behind right. here. Okay. That's it yes, for thank the emails you. this week. Uh, now, ooh, just through here, we, uh, yep. we look ooh, forward to climbing. reading more next week. Goodbye. Ooh, up, up, up. <laughs> Must lose some weight. Tight squeezes there. That sounds like a bit from Death to the Daleks. But was it when they're escaping from the Daleks? When that Dalek is saying exterminate forever, um, which I think is the the time that started the exterminate chant that everyone after that thought Daleks should chant exterminate. The, the doctor said, going, "We must go they? on a diet one of these days." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can watch that again right now. Actually, in fact, I might. Um, regular listeners will know that it's now time for me to say. 
The Randomoid Selectatron is firing up as we speak, oh, yes. readying itself to offer you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Tiffany top value. Uh, we'll also be teasing you with the first 15 minutes of the latest episode of Doctor Who Short Trips Volume 12, The Galois Group. But before all that, let's head back to those early days of Big Finish, back in 2001. Courtesy of those great guys at the Sirens of Audio, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny, here's a look back at a classic Silurian story from the Sixth Doctor era, Blood Tide. Doctor Who, Blood Tide. There's something in here. Some sort of lizard, I think. Release, I saw them. The Bible tells us that this world of ours is a mere... 6,000 years old. By the lake, That the Lord created in six days. That there was but one flood. Devils! With three eyes I saw them. It's about the size and proportions of a man. Two arms, two legs. They're here! So to my mind, these fossils should not exist. And now they have come back. Yes. Yes, they have come back. Director Gary Russell. Blood Toe came about because I wanted to do a Silurian story. I mean, <laughs> like, why did you do Red Dawn? I wanted Ice Warriors. Why did you do Blood Tide? I wanted Silurians. I mean, the, the, that's the, the primary reason for anything with me with Silurians or Ice Warriors. It's the more I can have them, the better. Um, so I wanted a Silurian story. I wanted something that was different from other Silurian stories. So I wanted it to be historical. And I'd always been intrigued by Malcolm Hulk's introduction to the novelization of Cave Monsters, where he, or not, not the introduction, but all the way through, he implies this stuff about how they kept ape creatures as pets. You know, the early apes were their pets and they, they, they did things to them. And I think that's all I said to Johnny was, I wanted to be something about the Silurians and their opinion of humans because of that I want to know what they did to them in their sort of little concentration camps, if you like, where they kept them as pets and experimented on them. And the story came together very, very easily because Johnny is brilliant at just going, here's the story and suddenly you've got an entire story that's developed with characters and it all goes boom, boom, boom. And we talked a lot about the Silurian involvement in it and, and the you know, the usual thing with Silurians, you've got good Silurians and bad Silurians. But he came up with this idea that genetically mankind was actually created by silurians they were effectively god and i loved that idea i thought that was absolutely brilliant what we hadn't foreseen was the death threats that the two of us were then going to get from americans didn't get any death threats from anyone in britain got a lot of death threats and a lot of complaints from americans because we dared suggest that silurians were god rather than god was god Writer Jonathan Morris. With audio, there was lots of things to learn. And I was very lucky that Gary Russell sort of was acting as a sort of, you know, a teacher during the first process of um, how to establish a setting without having people saying where they are, how to get in and out of scenes. The sort of the grammar of if, some, if a character's in a scene, you need to have them talk in the first page of that scene. 
to establish that they're there and all that all that sort of stuff which um i mean i, I in the end i ended up writing sort of a, a how to write a big finish audio guide for big finish because i'd done so many i got the hang of it fairly quickly i think i mean the only thing that ever annoys me with bloodside really is that it's too long and it's too long because i thought when i was writing it that i'd write half an hour episodes you know about um 5500 words or 6000 words and then it would be edited down i thought it'd be edited down to 25 minutes that's how it's always done on television and stuff but what was released wasn't really edited down i mean astrolog did edit it down a tiny bit but i would have gone through it all and got it down to 25 minute episodes just cutting out stuff which um slows it down really just so that the good bits are closer together so you don't have to wait so long for the next good bit but that's apart from that i think it turned out really really well was that Johnny's first I suppose it was wasn't it he had certainly submitted an arachophobia to bbc books because i remember reading in steve cole's office the synopsis and i think i so liked the synopsis of that that before Steve had had a chance, he'd commissioned it and Johnny was writing it. But, but before it actually came out, I'd already gone to Johnny and gone, right, I gather you're doing, I've seen you're doing this fantastic book for BBC Books, come and write an audio for me, because I could just see what a good writer he was. May I inquire as to the whereabouts of the rest of your party? It does seem strange to find you and your companion traversing the island alone. Ah, our boat is anchored on the far side of the island. We've walked for much of the day and fear we may not be able to return there before nightfall. But you must join me this evening. The the governor of these islands is holding a dinner in honour of the crew of the Beagle. Is he? Well, we would be absolutely delighted to attend, wouldn't we, Evelyn? Delighted. Doctor... If you will excuse me for a moment while I go and collect my specimens. Doctor, the Beagle, he's Charles Darwin. Oh, you guessed, have you? I knew Miles because he'd been around for years because he'd done downtime and he'd done the draconian things for Keith. And he was incredibly good friends with Lisa Bauman. It was actually Lisa that introduced me. It was at Lisa's 40th, I think. Yes, it would have been her 40th. Uh, she introduced me to Miles. So I just liked him. I just thought he was a good bloke and he'd got a great voice. And I just thought, yeah, you know, you're Charles Darwin, without a doubt. And he relished it. He, he jumped at the chance to do that. Miles Richardson. It all stems from working for real-time pictures. Um, Keith Barnfather, who you might have come across his work, he does Doctor Who spin-offs in, in uh, video dramas. During that kind of fallow period when Doctor Who was off the air, it was people like Keith and Big Finish who were keeping the interest up. And I think it's because I'd done a piece for him that my name was sort of out there in the kind of Doctor Who firmament. I think it was because of that that they got me in to do, first of all, I, I was in a, a, a Doctor Who one, playing, of all things, Charles Darwin. And they liked what I did. And I liked doing it because the great advantage of doing audio dramas, you don't have to learn the lines. <laughs> you don't have to put on any makeup. You don't have to put any costume on. You can arrive in your series, you can get in the booth, you can read the part, and you can go home. And you get a lovely, lovely, lovely lunch cooked by Toby, the sound technician. I'm sure you've all heard about the lovely lunches. And then, of course, they cast me as Irving. And what was interesting is because I knew nothing about this other world of Doctor Who. I must confess, I'm not really a huge science fiction fan. I, I, I know I'm a, I'm a big fan of drama, but I'm not necessarily a, a sci-fi fan. But what I, I discovered quite early on is that with science fiction, everything's possible. Absolutely everything is possible. I always work standing up because 
you can, I think you can hear when people are sitting down. Even when I'm supposed to be sitting down, <laughs> I'm standing up because you just have to free up, you know, your, your energy. I mean, I remember going, to, this is really weird, I'm a bit on a tangent, but I went to see an opera, Don Giovanni, uh, before it all, everything shut down. And there was one point when the actor, the, the, sorry, I should say, the singer playing Don Giovanni was rolling around on the floor, but singing at the same time. And I thought, my God, that is so extraordinary that he can actually roll around on the floor and still produce this extraordinary sound. And of course, I just suddenly thought, well, yeah, that's the power of your diaphragm and your and, and your, your rib control. And I figured, you know, that's that's exactly sort of what I do. That when I'm in the booth, I am giving it the power and energy that that voice needs at, if they, in that situation. If you, you can't do that sitting down, it can be very exhausting, even though you're standing up in a booth, you know, even running around or. But you know, it it requires that level of effort. Otherwise, again, you're not you're not. Um, portraying the the drama of the situation from the archives maggie stables oh i think it works wonderfully yeah i love working with colin and uh, love his sense of humor and professionalism and I, I i think that the sort of rapport comes through on the recordings well i hope it does anyway yeah she does understand what he's talking about that's uh, that's yes. that's her strength isn't it yeah. and she picks up any any references he makes because I mean, she's not only a historian she's a very well educated woman all round i think but i think she's she's not too um frightened of him i mean she's impressed by him obviously but she's not she doesn't feel too overshadowed just a little overshadowed colin baker Maggie Stables I absolutely adored. She was a wonderful woman. She'd had any number of previous careers. Uh, I might be wrong. I think working in a bank was one. Being a teacher was another. Um, and then she decided, uh, perhaps almost my age now, that she'd like to have a go at being an actor and did so with great distinction. And I, I think Nick Briggs had worked with her in something else, I think on stage. And he... Uh, had this idea for the Evelyn Smythe character. And the first story we did was the one about Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth, the Marian conspiracy. And I thought, ah, yes, we've got someone who A, knows what they're doing and has a brain in her. Um, she was a very, very bright, clever, funny, kind person. And I greatly enjoyed that. And my doctor enjoyed having the challenge of Evelyn, who was as bright as a button, very learned, and and didn't tolerate any of the doctor's airy persiflage when he was banging on about something ridiculous, and she she wiped the floor with him, and I liked that too. So it was a great character, and I do miss her. I miss her still. I'd love to have uh, taken that journey a little further. Who else is in it? Dan Hogarth's in it, playing the leader of the Silurians. Jez is in it doing his Spanish accent. And is it Helen Goldwyn doing a Spanish accent as well? Yes. That's right. Yes. <laughs> you see, that's a big difference from the way I, I, over time for me working. If a year after that, or maybe 18 months after that, if that had come up again, I would have cast Spanish actors. In those days, I didn't have enough actors and I didn't have enough agents and I didn't have enough experience and, and knowledge of how to find people. I say 18 months on, if we'd done a story with Spanish people in it, I would have been casting Spanish actors because I think that's important. And that's not to take anything away from what Jez and Helen did because they sound Spanish, but 
my gut instinct is there are Spanish actors out there and we should be giving them work rather than giving English people work. Jez Fielder. So this was over 20 years ago, but I do remember the story and the recording. It was the second time I'd worked with Colin after we'd done the Marion conspiracy the year before. I love working with Colin because he's naughty. <laughs> Aside from being a font of knowledge, he's also very funny and um, and he'd muck about. And I love people who muck about. And I think Gary Russell, who I think directed pretty much everything I did in my first few years at Big Finish, probably got weary from, you know, rolling his eyes all the time. But, you know, Colin was never irritating to the director or producer because he was so good at audio drama, so engaged with the with the format, I suppose, and his, his exposition was brilliant. Well, <laughs> one thing you could try, try to do with Colin if you were in a, in a scene with him is to attempt to make the last sound before the sound engineers stop rolling. <laughs> Forget it. Uh, you couldn't. It was impossible. Colin would find a way to, to trump you, whatever, whatever you did. There would sometimes even be um, a gap of... I'm just laughing because I'm remembering, I'm remembering how it was. <laughs> there'd be like a gap of, I don't know, just a small gap of maybe even a couple of seconds. Um, and almost like he knew the mind of the control room when he was about to, you know, when the sound is and he was about to press stop, he'd whack in a mmm. And <laughs> just right at the very last minute. I mean, I'm sure not all of these were kept, but, um, you know, he'd, he'd kind of do it without fail. And I guess the other reason Blood Tide sticks in my mind is a sort of silly one. Uh, it's because it featured a creature that sounded like uh, a pubic wig. There was a species called the murker. <laughs> and, and if you look it up, uh, as I have, it resembles the cookie monster from the Muppets, but sort of soaked in petrol. Um, <laughs> I had to be a Silurian. Two, two Silurians, in fact. Um, the production team brought in a recording. So we're all in the moat and they, they brought in this, I don't know whether it was a VHS at the time or a DVD. But they, they wheeled out a television with probably a VHS player attached to it and played um, a scene from Doctor Who and the Silurians, I think it was, with John Pertwee. And there was a, there was a good, good scene where there was quite a lot of Silurian chat. So they played that a few times and those of us that were going to play Silurians kind of, you know, sat and listened and then we had time. Then we, they gave us a few minutes to kind of go off and, you know, try it out. Um, privately <laughs> um, and you know try and get the voice right because I think there's a temptation if you've never done an alien voice before to assume that you know it, it's all going to be done in post-production with with voice effects but it's not true at all you, you have to give a you have to give a good impersonation of the final final voice when you perform it you know otherwise it just doesn't it just doesn't it just doesn't work post-production will enhance what you've done but there's no just you know reading the lines in a in a human way silurians were quite low and um sort of gruff the, the hibernation mechanism was faulty so so it's like um it's like brian blessed has been slowed down and deepened <laughs> but the, the story was brilliant the whole cast liked it we talked about it a lot it was you know um displacing the doctor and his companion to to um, you know, a, a historically recognisable place. It was quite touching to see Evelyn's sort of enthusiastic historian come across a young Charles Darwin. I mean, how 
how extraordinary would that um Miles Richardson was very good and hilarious between takes. The Merka is moving away from the egg creature's vessel. I hope it enjoyed its meal. You were using a sonic implant. Their use in Merka hunts is forbidden. It is excessively cruel. Shimak, the numbers of these egg creatures must be contained by any means necessary. You have prepared the bacterial culture? Yes. It is carried by an airborne microorganism, unchecked. It will swiftly lead to a pandemic amongst the ape creatures. The plague will wipe out all but the newborn. And it kills quickly. Death is inevitable in a matter of minutes. Excellent. Leader, the two ape creatures have been captured and placed in the enclosure. Good. We shall test the bacteria at once. Just go to bigfinish.com and type blood tide into the search pane at the top to find out what happens. I wonder what happens. And don't forget to go to Sirens of Audio and listen to their superb podcast interviews. Any minute now, we'll be drama teasing you with the first 15 minutes of the Galois Group, 11th Doctor action right there. But first, it's... The Randomoid Selectatron, where we randomly select a big finish release and offer you a 25% discount on it. Where you get 25% discount this week on... Number one, one, one... Doctor Who, the Doomwood Curse. Oh, the Doomwood Curse. Yeah. Uh, yes, this is directed by um, um, Barnaby Edwards, and it's I haven't looked it up yet. Is it? Oh, it's, it's by Colin Baker, yeah. India Fisher, yeah. and stars a uh, young Hayley Atwell, no yes, less. Yes, that's right. Nikki Henson and Jonathan Firth. What a great cast! Wicked Nikki Henson, cast, the late there. great Nikki Henson. Well, it's a great. I mean, it's always great to to have India Fisher in this and Colin Baker and India Fisher. What a what a tour de force Tardis team for you there. This was recorded on the twenty first of uh, the twenty second to the twenty twenty first twenty second of May two thousand eight. Brilliantly read out. Yeah, I, I, I was I was looking at it and for a split second. I just was sitting there thinking, hold on a minute. There's only twelve months. Why does it say the twenty first of the twenty second? And then I, I realised I, I had in fact gone insane. Um, but yeah, well, if you want to get your hands on this one, yeah, well, hold on I a sec. Let's hear right. the trailer. All right, all right, all right. Oh, Doctor, but it's thrilling. Curses and tombs, revenge from beyond the grave, scheming gypsies and highwaymen, of course. It is the curse of our family. A bough falling from that tree heralds the death of the eldest Doomwood. This is the Doomwood curse. Curses are just superstition. They have no power. Rookwood, the book that invented Dick Turpin. Uh, no, Doctor. I think you'll find Dick Turpin was a real person. Stand and deliver! Your money or your life. Open the gate, damn you. Not till I got my juice. I'll give you what you do, man. Can't you see that's a highwayman there? You can't possibly be this man's sister. You are Charlotte Pollard. No, Charlotte Doomwood. In times to come, when town folk and country folk alike tell of this ride, the greatest heroine of them all is brave Black Bess. I understood that you did not believe in such things as curses, Doctor. I don't, but I'm very much afraid that this world does. I think the answers may lie in a book. Available now from BigFinish.com. There you are. Beautiful stuff. And that was during that sort of sequence of stories where Charlie got attached to the sixth Doctor, which was all very intriguing. 
Mm -hmm. This one, it doesn't get more intriguing than Dick Turpin well, exactly. rocking in there. Curses, tombs, revenge from beyond the grave and Dick Turpin. Exactly. Superb stuff. Superb. Well, while I email Jackie Emery at Big Finish to inform her of our um, randomoid selection so that she can get the offer live on the Big Finish website, Benji, uh, would you like to remind people how to get this incredible 25% discount in the style of a sentient moustache? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know, but I, I imagine a moustache sort of... Well, it sort of talks like this, you know, sort of yeah, distinguished. Yeah. Sort of, you go to bigfinish.com, uh, uh, head over to podcasts, podcasts. Uh, click read read more on the next picture of the last two lovely moustaches. Uh, what's on there? Uh, um, it says here, uh, just click here and edit the code back up. That's B-U-C-K-U-P. Edit the code, 25% off. That's pretty much what I think they sort of sound like, isn't it? Yeah, you know? I think that's fair. You know, and you think as well, you know, moustaches, they probably they probably do get a bit sort of... Because you think every time you have a cup of tea, you know, they get a bit drenched, you know. Yeah, my moustache needs a bit of a trim, actually. Just oh, dear. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to be doing um, a whatchamacallit, um, a dick... Um, oh, what's his name? He was Moustache, Dick Escape moustache. the Chateau. Um... Dick Strawbridge. You don't want a Dick Strawbridge moustache, Nick. No, 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 I don't. You know, that's that's uh, that's quite... That's too far, I think. Too far. Too far. And listen, thanks, Ran. Well done. Next week's podcast is going to be all about the Ninth Doctor Adventures, Shades of Fear. Christopher Eccleston in some brand new adventures heading your way on Wednesday the 8th of February. Well, thanks again for you all for listening. Just time to say, as usual... The Big Finish podcast is presented by me, Benji Clifford, and him, Nick Briggs. He also wrote, produced, and edited it. And both Benji and I did this for the love of stories. stories. And finally, on the Big Finish podcast, Doctor Who Short Trips, the Galois Group. We'd had an argument. The Doctor told me the rules when we met, and that was fine. But then he broke them. Suddenly, he could cross the lines we couldn't cross, but only when he said so. It wasn't that he was lying or that he didn't care. It was simpler than that, and much harder to fix. For all my augmented senses, I couldn't see the web of time that tied the doctor's hands. And what I couldn't see, some part of me couldn't believe. Still, my head accepted what my heart refused. So I said I understood. We smoothed things over and the doctor left me browsing the TARDIS library. Only, it's easy to say you understand. But just because you said it doesn't mean you mean it. And just because you meant it doesn't mean it's true. Sometimes you can't understand a thing till you experience it for yourself. Big Finish presents Doctor Who Short Trips The Galois Group by Felicia Barker Read by Safia Inga
It was an hour later when a jolt scattered the entire shelf of 63rd century pulp adventure fiction. Odd shudders weren't unusual, but since I'd arrived, a mystery caller had been menacing the TARDIS. They'd nearly destroyed it once already. I made for the console room. <sighs> What's happening? I asked, finding the doctor gripping the console monitor with both hands. Dunno. Bit of a landing, accidental landing, more of a crash, ran aground. Another call? No, we fell into a... Call it a pothole in the vortex. I mean, it's not literally a pothole, it's nothing like a pothole. It's more of a striated chronotopic fault matrix embedded in the transverse time track of local force space. But pothole sounds less worrying. Come on, Valerie. And without changing gear, he was halfway out the door. We emerged in near blackness. The doctor flailed forward, put his hand on a rafter thick with cobwebs, then cracked the back of his head on a slanted roof as he tried to waft them away. Gah! I mean, aha! We're in an attic, he declared. The green glow of the sonic screwdriver blossomed in the long, cramped space. He waved it toward a narrow staircase. Be on the lookout for anything out of place, especially if it looks a bit... timey, he murmured as we descended onto the landing. Timey? I repeated. A sickly memory of swarming time spiders raised its head. I shook it off. Timey, the doctor confirmed, unhelpfully. At first glance, the whole building seemed asleep, but then I noticed a thread of yellow light tracing the edge of one door. I nudged the doctor. He held a finger to his lips, tiptoed across, craned an ear to the wooden panel, then knocked and let himself in, blithely addressing the occupant. Hello, I'm the doctor. Sorry to disturb you at this hour, whatever hour this is, but I was wondering if you'd seen anything odd lately. Sighing, I followed him into a dinky bedroom. It was lit by gas, which told me we were in, well, it was the 19th century. But I'll be honest, I didn't know that till the doctor told me. The light pulled on a desk occupied by a young man with striking eyebrows and a startled expression. His pen interrupted, hung over a page. What? With respect, no, my attentions have been consumed by the completion of the work upon which you now intrude, Mr... Oh, like I said, I'm the doctor. This is Valerie. We're... renting the attic. Motel mentioned no such thing. Your landlord's called Motel, grinned the doctor. Allegedly, so is yours. I rolled my eyes and began to interject, but the writer thumped his desk. Please! It may be that my life's enterprise has attained little importance. Still, I think it not extravagant to expect I might record my work in peace before the whole misbegotten endeavour meets its end. Meets its end? I frowned, but the doctor interrupted, sweeping me out of the room. Right, yes, sorry to barge in, leave you to it. Come on, Valerie! We were on the landing, door closed behind us before the irate man could respond. The doctor didn't pause. What? Doctor, what's going on? I floundered, chasing after him. Unless I'm extremely wrong, and I wish I was, but I'm not, it's May the 29th, 1832, and that was Avarice Galois, who is a revolutionary mathematician. Galois theory. Galois groups? Galois connection? Or was that the Muppets? A framework of symmetries and structures to understand the universe, fundamentals of everything, even time travel. The doctor grew animated as he spoke. 
but as quickly as it came, his enthusiasm died. And, uh, tomorrow he'll be shot in a duel with an unknown opponent and die at twenty. No, I groaned. B but wait, he must know them. We could just ask. We could distract his opponent and stop it ever happening. The doctor stopped on the attic stairs. The clouds in his brow grew darker. We can't. He died. It's history. We've discussed this. The refrigerant capillaries in my implants give me excellent thermoregulation, but they didn't stop the wash of heat spreading across my neck. Right, of course. We can't change history except when we can. Sorry I don't immediately know the exceptions. Some things just have to happen because the universe says so. He turned away, but under his breath I heard him mutter, even if you disagree with them. I wanted to shout, but I steadied myself. It wasn't his fault. He hadn't made the rules, and clearly they galled him too, but seeing him grumpy only annoyed me more. Our moods were a toxic feedback loop. Need a moment, I muttered. He turned and his expression softened. Check outside, he nodded. Have a breather. Stay close. He managed a small smile and a wink before vanishing into the attic. Two floors down, I slipped into the street. The night was warm and silent. For the first time in too long, the knots of recent experience began to unwind. Nightmares of an unwritten death, the TARDIS exploding around me, Ellery. For several minutes I drifted, aimlessly, unfocused. But turning into the yard behind the house, I stopped short. I missed whatever it was, till I was on top of it. It was almost invisible, like flawless glass. But no, it wasn't made of stuff at all. It was visible, only as distortions in the light. Air rippled around angular, thorny limbs that branched out from a jagged slash of white. The way it curved the light played tricks with perspective. You know how hovercars have those signs that say objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear? Yeah, I didn't mean to walk into it. <laughs> I just lifted one leg and suddenly it was sort of sucking and stretching and gravity had gone alarmingly sideways and I no longer got a say in where my foot came down. Before I'd even overcome the shock sufficiently to process the vertigo, I hit the dirt. My landing displaced a thin veneer of hay, gritty with substances I've made a concerted effort not to think about since. Oof! I yelled. Ow! My God! Someone yelled back. I focused my spinning view on the voice. A figure hunched on a bare wooden bunk clutching his head. In the dank room, a cell, I realized, it took a moment to make out the face. But then he raised his head. Ugh, I should have never accepted Menon's diabolical spirit. Galois! I blurted thickly, because it was. Yes? He responded. We traded looks of mutual nonplussedness. My mouth worked aimlessly as I got my feet and head in order. What? But... You... Is this a prison? It... Yes. Yes, it is. I think he was relieved to have a question he could answer. 
I thought you did maths. He raised those striking eyebrows. You don't know where you are, but you know who I am. Uh, sort of. Um, wait, what year is this? He mashed his face wearily and took a long breath. Very well. In the spirit of free and open exchange, allow me to answer your questions in return for some of my own. I am Everise Galois. This is St. Pelagi Prison. And it's 1830. But why are you here? They believe I pose a threat to the crown. Why? Did you do a particularly treasonous sum? <laughs> he shrugged. I threatened the king with a dagger. <clears throat> Twice. You didn't. Well, not to his face, but the charges are irrelevant. Our revolution brought Louis-Philippe to power, and he knows a seat so gained may likewise be lost. He cannot abide me to live. The royalists conspire to eliminate me. My cellmates drink with the guards. They poison my friends against me. The confusion of the last moments had knocked my anger sideways, but as Galois spoke, it came bubbling back. If your king's like that, he should be afraid. Galois smiled. Ah... A sister to the cause. Oh, I laughed suddenly. The doctor called you a revolutionary mathematician. I didn't realize he meant... <laughs> Would that egality could be reached by algebraic means. But now I think I am overdue my own inquiries. Who are you? Where did you come from? And why in God's name don't you know what year it is? The doctors had centuries to refine this explanation. I'm not so polished. I stumbled through our meeting, losing mum, everything since. I came straight out with the time travel bit. He'd seen me tumble from thin air after all. The rift was still there, though less visible in the gloom, and... Suddenly, the reality of the situation struck me. What if it had gone? How would I get back? My explanation became abruptly derailed. Look, I said hopelessly, I, I can't properly explain because I don't understand myself, but I shouldn't be here, I I've got to go back. Through the rift? Would that work? What choice did I have? Back through... I have to leave you imprisoned here for no good reason, knowing in two years you'll be shot. Was that what I was saying? Is that what the doctor was teaching me? L listen, we can get out of here. I started over, speaking fast. We just have to step through this whole thing. I don't know what happens next, but it's got to be better than... This. Dying was what I didn't say. It had to be better than dying. Galois rose unsteadily and squinted at the rift. His face was pinched, but his eyes shone. Well, he said, it probably won't be the most foolish thing I ever do. And for him, maybe it wasn't. I was prepared for the jump this time, and the moment I regained my balance, I spun around to check my surroundings. With huge relief, I saw the yard of Motel de Motel. I'd successfully returned to where I'd left. Except I hadn't. The doctor explained it later. It's like a bus route. You can jump on any when, but you can only get off at a terminus. Setting aside this isn't how buses work, it was the 1832 terminus that had grounded the TARDIS, which meant... As I helped Everise up off the bricks, I heard the fading wheeze of our arrival in the attic above, 
and mistook it for a departure. Praying I was wrong, which I was, more than I knew, I grabbed Galois' wrist and hurried to the front door. Pausing inside, only to gesture for quiet, I mounted the stairs and almost barreled into my past self and the doctor backing out of Galois' room. I wheeled and flapped the baffled Galois back downstairs. Crouching in silence, a yawning chasm of horror opened beneath me as I heard my own voice echoing from above, followed inevitably by the doctors. Unless I'm extremely wrong, and I wish I was, but I'm not, it's May the 29th, 1832, and that was Avarice Galois. At least it was dark. I was spared every tiny tick of Galois' expression as the words poured down. The details of his death. He only stared, lost, as explanations became argument, became footsteps on the stair. When the door finally closed on my past self, he spoke at last, voice hollow. What is this? Whence have you brought me? What, what am I to understand? I'm so sorry, I began, not knowing what I could possibly say. I'll explain, or try, I don't know if I can, but... Valerie? The doctor's voice came from above, followed by his steps. Did you say something? 